Good morning. I'm Ron Gilliard. I previously was an IMB missionary. I was also an elder at Hope International Church, and then I was associate pastor at First Baptist Church of Slidell, Louisiana, and now I do pastoral care here at Southside Baptist Church. But the credentials that I need, that I needed to speak to you today on the subject of does the, if the world hates us, if the world hates you. Uh, I gained those credentials when I was arrested and taken to jail for my Christian faith. So I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. Pastor Gary is not with us today. He's on a mission trip of his own. Uh, he's traveled to give support and uh, encourage missionaries that we have on the field that come from this church that are working on the field. And uh, I won't tell you the people group or the the location for their safety, but uh, let's keep them in their prayers uh, about a week and a half that he'll be there with them. We're continuing on in the series called Final Words. If you look at John 13, 1, it sort of sets the stage uh, for our Final Word series. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, this passage in John, this is not unlike, it's very, a tiny example might be if we're here uh, enjoying the summer and this is a a great time, in a few weeks we're going to send our kids off to college or we're going to take a trip or something. The only difference, of course, is that it's a a more serious separation that's going to occur and it's going to be for a longer period of time, but Jesus loved these men. He had spent the last three years with them. Uh, Not only did he teach them, but in many cases he was protecting and and guiding them and helping them make decisions. And uh, his influence on their lives was enormous. So now he sees that all of a sudden he's going to be gone and they're going to be left to make these decisions and do these things themselves. So he's speaking into their lives during this last, uh, during the book of John in the 15th chapter is where we're going to go. But We've been in John for some time. It's a marvelous book, but these are truly Jesus' final words to his disciples. And as he, in the beginning of the book of um, uh, the 15th chapter, he reminded them that in order for them to have fruitful ministries, in order for them to have fruitful lives, they had to stay connected with him and with God. And the practical application for us today is that we have to stay connected in God's word. We have to stay connected in worship. We have to stay connected with fellow Christians in our fellowship. And we have to stay connected in prayer if we're going to be fruitful in our lives. So he reminded them of all of those things in the first part of this very chapter that we're studying. But then when it gets to verse 17, he says, he commands them, and you wouldn't think you'd have to do this to this guy group, but he commands them, you've got to love one another. You know, it's like an emphasis that, I don't know what you've been thinking all along, but you've got to put that aside. You've got to love each other if you're going to really be fruitful in what you do. So then it comes to the 18th uh, verse, that's where we're going to begin our study today, is uh, verses 18 through 21. If the world hates you, if you uh, have a Bible, feel free to turn to it, or you can watch it on the overhead here. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that, is, that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you 
they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all of these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So, I would ask the first question. Uh, all of our, when we read the Bible, of course, we know that much of it was written for a particular period of time, but it also has applications for us today. So, does the world hate you? Would be one question. We know that Jesus spoke these words on Thursday and he was crucified on Friday. So, there was certainly ample hatred and persecution present there. We also know that all of the apostles that he spoke to, that he was talking to at this time, all of them, Jesus and them, all died violent deaths. Some of them were crucified just as Jesus was. Some were beheaded. Some were stoned. Some were stuck with swords. Some were shot with arrows. Each one of them died a violent death. The global, it, it, it didn't just happen then and then it hasn't happened since. The global evangelism movement reports that people are martyred every year for their faith. In fact, one, one researcher by the name of Barnett says that since the time of Christ until today, there may have been as many as 70 million people martyred over that period of time. And they're saying that the average is 160,000 each and every year are martyred somewhere around the globe for the name of Christ. Now, the persecution isn't just back in the, the wars that we have record in our history about. The 20th century, unfortunately, has had more martyrs than any other century, if you can believe that. And in the 20th century, more people were killed for the name of Christ than in all the other 19th centuries prior to that. There's a, a reporter by the name of, um, well, let's see, I'm referring to the Christian Post reporter. Uh, do we have that here we go. The Christian Post, uh, this reporter, he writes in the, uh, it's called the Christian, uh, let me get the name of it. The Christian Post Reporter is the name of the, uh, the quarterly magazine. He says, the Christian has three mortal enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. In the case of persecution against the disciples of Jesus, Satan himself attacks and uses, in particular, the world's value systems to bolster his assault against Christ and his followers. He can, if he can kill them before birth, great. If he can assault them in life, great. Our arch enemy takes no prisoners, and if he, through diverse and nefarious means, can convince people that persecution is the product of a few fanatics, he's delighted. He also says that in the book, he wrote a book called Sorrow and Blood, Christian Mission in Context of Suffering, Persecution, and Martyrdom. Let's see if we have the rest of that. He says that in global, I've already mentioned to you, the 160,000, he says, more followers of Jesus Christ have died during the 20th century than any other time in history. It seems to me that with all of this martyrdom and all of this killing, it seems like you're thinking about people who are vastly different, perhaps, than one another. You know, it seems to me logical that we would be accepted more because of similarities, if we're alike, you know, we speak the same language, we dress the same, we look the same, we come from the same town, that is common. I think it's pretty normal to think maybe you even think alike. Well, uh, in 2002, my wife Lisa and I, we moved to Istanbul, Turkey to live. And we had heard a lot about a term called contextualization. I don't know if you've ever heard it. Contextualization means exactly what I just said, that the more similarities you have with a people group, 
the more likely you are to be accepted by them. And so we worked on this. This was something that we thought would be important in our ministry. So we dressed the way the Turks dressed. Uh, I couldn't wear my baseball cap anymore because nobody wore a baseball cap over there. That was, you know, a little thing. But uh, we um, adopted uh, the food. We ate their food. We, only, we didn't go to McDonald's or any of the other touristy-type places. You know, we tried to, to be accepted by them. And I thought we were making really good uh, progress in this regard. We had Turkish friends, of course. And we, um, I um, went to, I was going to work, I had a bookstore on the other side of the Bosphorus. Any of you who are familiar, uh, the Bosphorus is a strait that runs right up between the middle of Istanbul, and on one side is, is Asia. Uh, the Asian side is more residential, that's where a lot of people live, very traditional. On the other side is Europe, and on the European side is more business-like and is more tourism. So I would get up in the mornings, travel. I would take a bus down to the waterfront, take a boat across, take a dolmush, which is a little van, up to my place of business, and go to my bookstore. And that was what all the other Turks did. So I, I had a lot of association with them. Well, we, um, uh, I had people ask me for directions, how to get to here, and how to, you know. And I, had, I, went up, I, I happened up on a, an ATM problem that some men were having one day, and I sort of observed what was going on, and I got involved, and I helped them solve the problem. And so they were patting me on the back, and they were my friends. So I really felt accepted. You know, I thought, well, we're doing really good in this until the day. Until the day I had four police officers show up at my bookstore. And the police officer said, well, we've had a report that you have Yabanja coming and going here. Yabanja is the Turkish word for foreigner. <laughs> and he was right. We did. We had a lot of foreigners coming and going from the bookstore. The bookstore, we used it for orientation classes, not just for people coming to Istanbul, but for all of Turkey. Uh, if uh, workers, we're talking workers, workers would go to Turkey to live, and wherever they might be, they would settle in and, and uh, find their, their houses in the grocery store and the doctor's office and some basic things over a week or two. Then they would come back to Istanbul, and Lisa and I would have an orientation class with them that was designed to help them be not only, uh, not just survive, but to actually thrive and to enjoy what they were doing, to help them to be effective in their ministry and to sort of fit into the culture and feel really good about it. So we'd have an, a week or two orientation class. They came for... Um, somewhere between uh, uh, eight to ten days usually, and we spent a lot of time with them. Well, the police, when they had gotten word that we had Yabanja coming and going, they didn't know exactly what the, the nature of that was, so they staked us out, as it were, for two weeks and watched us. So then they came in. These four guys come in, and they're real menacing-looking. You know, they're not very happy guys. And so they uh, look at the bookstore, and I have these racks full of Turkish Bibles, and I have some Josh McDowell books, and some there. It's all Christian literature, some injels is the Turkish word for New Testament. So all they had to do is observe what was in there, and they knew what was going on. So they said, Su Giliorum. You know what that means? Su Giliorum. You come with us. So I said, Okay. So off I go. Well, it was kind of interesting. Lisa had just made the point at our orientation class to these people. Now, God uses change in a good way. Sometimes our plans aren't God's plans. So when change occurs, we kind of go with the change. You know, we don't, we don't let it defeat us. We go with it. So they got to see that firsthand. We, uh, we had some change occur right there on the spot. 
When I got to the police station, my first question, of course, was, what am I being brought in for? <laughs> what, what am I being arrested for? And they had a translator there, and they said, well, you're being... Uh, she, it was a lady. She was a lawyer. She asked the police officers, what's he being brought in for? And they told her, and they said... And so she turned and said to me, well, it seems that you are insulting Turkishness. I said, okay, is that a, is that a law? And she said, oh, yeah. She said, we're in a country that 99 point... Pick a number. 99 point something percent of all the people say they're Muslim, and you're distributing Christian literature, so you're saying that Christianity is correct, that means that Islam is incorrect, and that's a national insult to the country. So that was why I was there. So the question then comes back, not just if we're, uh, if the world hates us, but why? Why does the world hate us? And not always in the context of of one country to another, but why, does, why would the world hate Christians, per se? Well, I'd give you one answer. It might be that uh, they could hate you because their opinion of us, to start with, is not as good as our opinion of us. Generally, we think pretty highly of ourselves. Uh, we, uh, went to, when we went to Turkey, we had friends who, uh, after we had met them for a while, um, they said, well, you know, everyone in America is a Christian. You know, it's a Christian nation. Everybody in Turkey is a Muslim, so everybody in America must be Christian. So it's kind of a common sense sort of logic. So then that doesn't just apply to, to Turkey, but to a lot of countries around the world. They see America as a Christian nation. Well, most of those people haven't actually been here. So the only way they know what you act like and the only way they can draw a conclusion about America is from our music and from our movies and from our television. And those don't always put us in the best light. Uh, our friends that we had after a few months, uh, we made some really good Turkish friends. They said, man, we're shocked. You know, you guys don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't watch R-rated movies, you know, you pray before every meal. We've never met people like you. We, didn't, we, we, didn't, we never dreamed there would be a, an American that would act that way. So their opinion of us was different than what, what, um, what we might think our opinion should be. Also, other cultures, uh, some of their histories that they have, um, have been kind of, I wouldn't say altered, but there's different emphasis placed in different areas. I'll give you an example. Uh, when we first started making friends with some Turkish people, and we would say, did you know that most of the city, or not most, but many of the cities that you have right here in your country are listed in the Bible? They'd say, no, we didn't know that. I said, did you know that the New Testament is written predominantly from someone in Turkey or to someone in Turkey, one of the two. They may be somewhere else writing back to the, the cities in Turkey or vice versa. They didn't know that. They also didn't know that the Nicene Creed, Nicene Creed is like the establishment of our uh, basic uh, Christianity philosophies to some degree. The Nicene Creed was signed in a little town just um, three hours below Istanbul in a town, interestingly enough, called Nicaea. Today it's called Iznik. But that's where it was signed. So it wasn't changed, but uh, there were parts of history that were just convenient to that particular location. I had one college professor who was a lady say to me, I, I grew up here in Turkey, 
for example, and I went to very good schools, including a university, but not until I left the country and went to another country to study my PhD did I find out that the rest of the world believes that in the early 1900s there was a million and a half Armenians, primarily Christians, by the way, that were massacred right there in Turkey. And she said, I'd never heard that before. How could that be? And I said, well, I don't know. <laughs> you know but so their, their opinions about us are quite different than our opinions about us. There's also a, a, a situation where our opinions are being molded and changed by people who have different opinions about Christians, people who would, who would have a dissenting view on Christianity. Uh, as we read in a, a book by Robert Putnam and David Campbell, it's called American Grace. Let me read a quote for you. It says, Today's young adults are surprisingly united in saying that one of the reasons they turned from the church is that the anti-homosexual activism of the religious right. So why are young adults much more liberal in their views regarding homosexuality? So liberal, in fact, that they find their traditional Christian position on sex to be offensive and harmful. Putnam and Campbell, among other reasons, say the TV and movies normalized homosexuality during this period. In other words, while some Christians were hoping that legislation would change people's attitudes, it was pop culture, the academic institutions, the arts, and the media that were shaping the popular mind. Public policy is only now beginning to follow suit. So, of all of the reasons, probably the, the, the most significant reason why, uh, someone, why the, someone in the world may, in fact, hate us is that uh, Jesus is coming actually convicted them of their sin. If you'll look at John 15, 22 through 25 with me, he said, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and both hated me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. In finishing my police story, when I went to the police uh, department and they were taking a statement, they said I had to write out a statement so that it could be verified and then they would make a judgment as to whether I would be incarcerated or not. And so the attorney, the lady who was there to help me, she said, just write out everything you want to say and then I'll translate it to them, and we'll, we'll have an open discussion about it. I said, okay. Well, I thought for just a moment, and I know that the imams, you know what an imam is? Imam is the head of the mosque, and they have mosques all over the place. And so the imams had long told them that other countries, basically, were trying to steal their country away from them. And the way they were going to do this was through um, false religion. And that other countries were, their governments were financing and sending people in to try and disrupt and to tear apart their country. And so they just, they, they knew that was probably the reason. They were convinced, well, here's, here's proof positive. That's exactly what's happened. So I decided I would deal with that issue uh, up front. So in my written statement, I wrote it all out. And then when I gave it to her, she started reading it. And here's the beauty of this. This lady who was, by all rights, uh, very uh, happy with her government, happy with her country. She wasn't siding in any way with me that I can think of. Uh, but she was 
as she read the words, she adopted a certain feeling that she passed on to the police that were there. That's the only thing I can say. It was like the, the countenance. It started out like, this is really bad. We're going to rubber hose this guy any minute. And then it got a lot better. You know, it got very positive. And, and I attribute it to her, not, certainly not to me. But she started reading this. She said, now, now this says right here that, that you don't take any money from any other foreign governments or anything. Is that right? And I said, no, that's right. And she said, and it says here that Christians living in other countries... Give money so that you can give Bibles out to people here in Turkey. Is that right? And I said, yes, that's true. She said, and it says that they do that because they love the Turkish people and they believe that the Turks deserve the chance to hear that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Is that right? And you could see the the looks on people's faces. They love the Turkish people. You know, God, they, they... they want them to hear God's word. And I said, and what else does it say? And she said, and it says here that you don't give any of these to anyone unless they ask for them. It's not like you're forcing it upon them. They, they have to, you, we're running, the, we run an ad in the paper. They have to contact us and then we send it to them if that's what they want. And so it was a marvelous uh, time with this lady inter, interceding for me. I would say that when, we, um, when, when he says in John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. That was what I was experiencing. Uh, it was uh, the very meager attempts on my part and very meager words were being transformed into something much, much more by the Holy Spirit, I do believe. Because there was no other explanation as to why all of a sudden uh, I was headed down the river and now they're letting me go which is basically uh, what did occur Um, when I have uh, my experience with the um, police while it was a little bit it was good it's not good for everyone Uh, I had friends Hakan and Turan I'd like to tell you about Uh, Hakan and Turan were two uh, Turkish guys who were really wonderful Uh, they were very routine Turkish guys in, in, in the sense that uh, they both had jobs, they had families, they had kids, uh, they had nice apartments there in Istanbul, which was not always easy to, to have, and so, but they were Christian. That was the one deciding difference. Uh, they were sold out, born again, dedicated Christian men, both of them. Uh, they believed, in fact, I heard them say Acts 4.12 numerous times, there's salvation and no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And as I I think about that verse, and I think about how uh, in, of course, Islam, one of the dividing differences is that they don't believe that God had a son and that that, um, uh, when we say that Jesus Christ was the son, that's that's a very dividing difference between the two faiths. But they were strong in their understanding and their belief in this. And as I think about uh, Americans when we go out, you know, we often uh, engage people on the golf course or at work or some other entertainment area of our lives. And if the discussion ever comes up about, about God or about religion, usually if you're not offensive, you're not rude, you know, you're very gentle and understanding with people, it's okay. No one, no one seems to be offended by God. There was a time a few years ago... Uh, 
there was a poll that said like 95% of everybody in America believes in God. The, the separation comes here just like there is when you mention the name of Jesus. When he gets into Acts 4.12 and there is salvation in no one else, that's when it becomes a problem. When you suggest that God has a moral standard and that our culture is really a, quite a distance away from that moral standard, then all of a sudden you become judgmental and you become uh, where you're not an understanding person. So that's a, the same division that happens with us happens with them. So I asked the question, is this a, a clash of cultures? And Hakan and Turan, they were doing a Bible study. And in the Bible study... Uh, one night, it was a, one that went in a person's home and it went week after week. One night, the police were there and they arrested them uh, for doing this Bible study. And they took them to jail. So, the Bible study was likely done by, I mean, the, uh, the, the person that contacted the police was likely someone either in the Bible study or a friend of the family thinking that they were doing the right thing. Uh, in John fifteen twenty seven through sixteen four. It says, and you will also will bear witness because you have seen with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes that you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. So, the I even had Turks who uh, were my friends, and they would like to say, you know, we're, we, we believe in this one God just like you do, so we're exactly alike. And, of course, we knew that the, the, we were alike up to a point, and then, then we weren't alike any, any further than that. So, the question then becomes... Is this a clash of cultures only? Um, Jesus was trying to prepare his guys, not... Uh, in John 16, 25 through 33, he says, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf... For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and that you do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take heart, I have come up, overcome the world. The story turns a little worse uh, as far as our friends in, in Turkey are concerned. Uh, as our bookstore 
progressed, we, we, opened, we had this bookstore that we were looking for seekers, people who wanted to know about, more about Jesus. And uh, we couldn't get Bibles. We couldn't advertise a Bible. So we came up with a book called The Life of Christ and the History of the First Church. And we ran an ad in the paper that said, when you write to us, we'll send you our book for free. And then we would, of course, send them DVDs and some other things as well. And so many times we would get requests back for Bibles and we would do that. But one of the most valuable tools was that we knew where there was interest in, around the country in believers. So as new workers came, that's where we would put them in those locations. And new Bible studies would begin. Um, so as our bookstore business improved and we got between 150, 200 uh, requests each and every month for this book, uh, we started to have other Christian concerns in the country ask us if they could model some of what we were doing. Of course, we said, sure, they could. Well, one such place was Malatia, was a town out east. And Malatia, some guys came over, and we talked, and we showed them some stuff, gave them literature, and they went back. And so their, their progress was very, very good. They started to do Bible study there in their, in their bookstore. And it was similar to our bookstore, but they did some publishing as well. They did a really great job until on April the 18th is when things changed. They had five guys come in and say they wanted to do Bible study. And so a guy by the name of Najate Iden, Najate was a part-time pastor, part-time bookstore guy. He was a Turk, but he was a Christian. Uh, he said, sure, come on in and I'll do Bible study with you. So he set them down at a table and he started to work with them and uh, another guy by the name of Ugur Yuxel uh, was also there, and he joined in to help. And in the office, the next adjoining office, was a German guy by the name of Tillman. So everyone else had left the bookstore, and then after a period of time, of course, these, these guys pull out a gun, and they close up the bookstore, and they tie up the three men, and then they torture them for several hours and then finally kill them. And as the, the wife of one of the men... Uh, got word of it, uh, she said um, that the, the people who killed them certainly were forgiven and that um, they knew not what they were doing, in the words of Jesus. So it brings us to a, a very difficult question of how do we respond to people that, that show hatred towards us. Um, the, of course, the scripture here says we would have peace. In this uh, 25 through 33 passage that I just read, in verse 31, it says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I would leave you with a thought, which is, don't be the person, or don't be the one, who rejects someone who is looking for salvation through Jesus Christ. There's a, a, a very vaguely known theory about the formation of Islam. Uh, I'm not talking about the, the one night where God supposedly gave the vision to Muhammad and uh, gave him the entire Quran in one night, and, but Muhammad, of course, couldn't read or write, and so it took others a long, long time to, to write it all out. I'm not talking about that. Muhammad came, he was born about 600 years after Christ, and he lived on the Silk Highway, if you get my drift, where the caravans went from one uh, out of their country into other countries. And so he spent many nights uh, sitting by campfires talking to both Jewish leaders and Christians. And he, in his heart, developed the one God theory. 
Now, in, in the Arab world at that time, they had about 300 plus, 325 gods, if you will. And um, when Muhammad went to Medina and sort of made a plead with the city fathers, you know, we ought to go in that direction. That makes more sense. That's more logical. And they basically said, no, we can't do that. You know, we have an industry around the idols that we make and the people, and they're not going to stand for that. So uh, there's also an indication that he um, approached the, um, um, both the Jews and the Christians in the same way. You know, could, could we come and align our cultures with yours and, uh, and uh, believe in one God? And it seems like he was rejected from that as well, probably because of cultural differences. Uh, they were, there was not a love loss between uh, the two different cultures. So at any rate, he, as you know the story, he went on to amass quite an army and went into Mecca, and then he changed it. One of the reasons why they believe this is true, though, is because that during the first six months that Islam was a religion, he had them bow and pray in the direction of Jerusalem which is where he felt like the one true God was. And then after he conquered Mecca later on, of course, he took it over. So who knows where the world would be today if his advances had not been rejected by both the Jews and the Christians at that time, if he'd been accepted. So let's not be, as we see uh, out on St. John's Bluff Road now, we have a huge mosque right here in Jacksonville. We have the Istanbul Cultural Center on Southside Boulevard. Uh, the world and all of its culture is moving right here. So we don't have to go too far in order to engage that culture and to engage people of other beliefs. But let me tell you, this is, not, this is not a Muslim versus Christian issue by any stretch of the imagination. This is a Christian faith issue. And I'd like to give you one last quote from a guy by the name of Andrew Hoffecker. He says in his book, Revolutions in Worldview... That Christians should live in the world to the glory of God. They should defend the faith to unbelievers and live out the implications of God's revealed will. The Christian worldview is rooted in the Bible. The transcendent triune God who sovereignly created and redeemed heaven and earth. And provides the ultimate context for understanding all reality. Put another way, which you're familiar with, I know, 1 Peter 3.15... But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and with respect. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, Fourth of July weekend and for the wonderful patriotic songs that we sang and the, the feeling that we have in our hearts about our country, Lord. We know that our country is far from being free of uh, opportunities and free of uh, areas in which we need attention. But, Lord, we know, too, that our country is, is so much um, freer in terms of what it's trying to, to do on behalf of the people, what a masterful um, groundwork was laid uh, in our Constitution. Lord, we just pray that uh, we not destroy the good things that have been created on our behalf, but that we work diligently as a country uh, to help it to grow and to be the Christian nation that the world thinks we are. Uh, What a wonderful thing that would be, Father. Uh, Go with us now as we uh, finish this service. We pray for everyone as they leave today in Jesus' name. Amen.